0: Welcome, welcome my friends to the Beggars and Brawlers podcast. This is episode 51, recorded Friday the 22nd of July 2022, a, an auspicious date if I've ever seen one, and this week I'm giving you one last preview of our upcoming and actually now available Tide Caller prequel novella, Thief of Smoke and Sorrow, plus a world builder's thoughts on writing kissy bits and all the drama of writing love. All right, a final spoiler warning here before we get into the chapter. There are no spoilers here for the main series, but there certainly are spoilers for the preview chapters that have come before in this podcast feed. So listen to those first and then hit up this one, which is chapter number six of Thief of Smoke and Sorrow. Six. I wake to the crackle of a fire, to the distant shush of waves, to a gentle touch across my forehead. My head is a bundle of wool, too thick for thoughts to pass through. I struggle to open my eye. Estresia? Sh comes a voice, feminine and close, but not Estresia. A starved girl swims into focus, eyes close-set and hair cut in the severe style of a novice witch. Owena. I suck in a breath. Scabs! Bloods! Where are we? How did I- I try to get up, but all it takes is her palm on my chest to keep me down. Shh, she says again. It's okay. We're in the cave. You're safe. There's no one else here. I take a ragged breath, memories of breaking into the temple coming back, of losing sensation in my hands. I found you at the mouth of the cave, she says in her monotone. Abrasions on your wrists and thighs, stripped to your small clothes. You were panic surges in me, a wild beast, and I seize her wrist, shaking my head, needing her not to say it. Then my chest tightens too hard to get my words out, and I curl inward, trying to say my mantra, to practice the witch's body sweep, anything to keep the memories out. They come. Blood push. I was blood pushed right before I could do anything that mattered in the temple. again like always. My breath gets ragged, my heart squeezing in my chest. I can't escape. I'll never escape. Shh, Owena whispers, thin arms coming around me, and I can't help myself. I lean into them, into the comfort of another human being, even if she isn't Astresia, even if I'm supposed to be the one taking care of her. Safe, she's whispering, one hand stroking my hair. You're safe. You made it out. They let you go. I'm still shaking, but it sobs now. The quiet tears I learned to cry ten years ago in the witches' dormitories, in the dark. The only way to calm myself down. That's how I met Astresia, Another novice crying quiet tears next to me. I could see her blanket shaking in the bed next to mine. Maybe that's all our relationship was ever about escaping pain. Maybe that's all any of this is about. The tears do their work, and Oena's arms help, and her quiet words, even if they're all lies and I know I'm not safe, that I maybe never will be again. I remember my mantra and whisper it to myself as the fire burns low behind us and the sun rises beyond the cave mouth and all the aches and bruises of the night start to throb. "'Cloves,' I say at last, when I think my voice is my own again. "'Do we have any cloves around?' She unwraps an arm to grab one for me, then surprises me by taking two. She lights them on an ember and hands me one. "'You know how to smoke?' I ask after I've pulled the sweet lungful in. The world feels better when I exhale. She shrugs, shoulders bony against my back. "'Had to do something while you were gone?' I thought it would be good practice for what you told me, about unlearning their lies. I grin despite myself. You're a thick scab, you know that, Awena. She shrugs again. I get why you like it. It's relaxing. We smoke in silence for a minute, and I feel a pang of guilt. This is probably not how I'm supposed to be helping fresh runaways. I get up and find a crate to sit on, and Awena follows suit. Where did you go? She asks. She had to, eventually. The temple. Her eyes widen, and I feel bad all over again. What would she have done if I didn't come back? If Nereemes had managed to kill me despite the attention of the temple? Or if the Chosen decided my information wasn't worth my life? She blows a thin stream of smoke, and I notice she holds her twist with her fingertips, like a quill. Did you find what you were looking for? she asks. I shake my head. I, well, you saw. Blood pushed. I can't bring myself to say it. She nods. There were witches there? No, they must have been watching. That or. I think about the Stainer's words again, about the book teaching powers that could end the city's civil war. Could they teach a man to use women's magic? That would end things quick. But no, there's no way any of them would have my blood. It was never worth that much to begin with. She just nods, eyes on the ground. I'm sorry. There's no need to say more. She's been through the same thing, over and over. Bloods, but I need to get this girl to the farmhouse. I should maybe go with her, once I figure this out. You were holding something. She pulls a slip of paper from her shirt. When I found you this morning. I take it and unfold it. My heart sinks at the image drawn at the top, a triangle inside a larger one, the sign of the Thericans Guild. There are only a few words below. I force myself to read them. Stop what you are doing, it says in a tight script. Stop and be spared. My heart jerks like a rabbit caught in a snare. I read it again and look up. I was holding this? You wrote it, I think, in the push. I look back at the note and see the smear of blood along the left side, mirroring a cut on my own hand. Fear surges inside, an icy Snake reaching for my heart. I can't push it down this time, can't mantra it away. This is proof it was the witch's, if I ever had any doubt. And the thread is clear. Stop and be spared. Continue and be killed. They knew what I was doing, I mutter, still staring at the note they were watching me the whole time. It makes perfect sense. That's why they stopped me before I could say what I knew. Before I could find Nerimes. I pull hard on the clove. Maybe, Oena starts, then draws hard on her clove. Maybe you should do it, she says after she blows smoke. Stop, I mean. Leave Saray. maybe. Take me to the farm. I don't think they would blood push you all the way back from the upper peninsula. They're just using you because you're convenient. If I leave, they'll just use someone else, I spit, more because I need to have something to say than because I disagree. She's probably right. I just can't. At least they won't be using you, she says, eyes on her smoldering twist. You can't really fight them anyway, not when they have your blood. I hear the hopelessness in her voice, feel it echo in my own chest. Feel the yearning to go with her, like a fish longing for cleaner waters. I can just imagine it. The creak of the merchant's wagon as we roll up the peninsula. The green terraced hills stretching out to either side. Air muggy and loud with cricket and cicada. The way my fear would get weaker with every mile. It's so real I can feel the humid air on my skin, smell the crushed grass under our wheels. But right there with it, just as real, is the anger that says leaving would mean letting them win, would be cutting off the one route novices have for escaping, would be proving to them that yes, they really do have all the power, that even if we leave the guild, we're still just the helpless urchins we started off as, only more scarred. Owena lays a hand on my shoulder, and I realize how tense I've gotten. Maybe it would do you some good to get away for a while. Give them time to forget about you. I stare at the note in my hands and shake my head. Stop what you are doing. I just, I don't know who I'd be up there if I wasn't helping people escape. She quirks an eyebrow. You'd probably be a hero if you're the reason all those girls escaped. I hear her, but something in the note catches my eye. Not in the words, but the letters themselves. I trace them again with my gaze, then suck in a breath. I wrote it, but that's not my handwriting. Hey, I say, cutting her off in the middle of saying something. How does blood-pushed handwriting work? Did you get far enough to learn anything about it? It's one of the skills we all share, so it translates, she says, voice going back to monotone. At least for every vessel who knows how to write. They don't tell your hand how to move, so much as tell it to write something. And we write it in their hand? She nods. Most of the time, the vessel writes in the hand of the thera- the witch, controlling them. I stare harder, hands starting to shake. I know this handwriting. Owena frowns. Why? Estresia, I growl, and I crumple the page in my fist. That's Estresia's handwriting. What? Owena says. But why? I don't know why, I grit, even as the thoughts spin in my mind, schools of fish forming a pattern. But she has my blood, has since way back, since we used each other to practice. I haven't thought of that in forever, of how she would make me do ridiculous dances and I would make her smack herself in the face. The memory is a knife in my chest, a second one. But why? Owena asks. Unless she... Yeah, I say. She swallowed all their lies a long time ago. Tried to convince me everything I did under Blood Push was fine. She's a witch through and through. And she would work with the monks? Or want that book for herself? I don't know, I say again. But I feel all the fear and uncertainty wash off me, like a dock worker in the baths. But I'm going to find out. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that. Things are getting pretty serious in the Thief of Smoke and Sorrow world. You can tell that there's been somebody lurking in the back of Gaxon's consciousness this whole time, Estresia. Kind of the thing that she bounces off of, even though she hasn't made an appearance. And no comments on whether she's actually going to make an appearance or not. But I did want to talk a little bit about what it's like to write romance. I used to not care about this in books, and I think that there are a lot of fantasy authors um, who don't do a good job of it, and I think I probably grew up reading those authors, like Robert Jordan, who like either people are indifferent to each other or they're madly, deeply, desperately in love, and um, that model is fine, but I think it's a little expected and uh, it's dangerous as an author if you write two people who fall madly, deeply, desperately in love, and they don't really have a reason to, they just both happen to be the main characters, uh, not to point any fingers, but I feel like I actually could have done a better job of this in the Empire of Resonance series, my first uh, quartet of epic fantasy novels. There's a romance in there, and I, in retrospect, and after getting some comments back from uh, reviewers, I do feel like it was kind of the expected romance. And so I took that lesson with me going forward in writing the Tidecaller series and thought, I don't want to do an expected romance. I don't want to have people fall in love kind of just because they should. Uh, I want it to feel authentic, and I want the things that happen to not be all good. I want some drama in there. At that time, I was also reading a different quartet, one of my favorite series of all time in fantasy, The Long Price Quartet by Daniel Abraham. And uh, in every one of those books, he has people do stupid, stupid things because of love. And it's such a good motivation. As a writer... Sometimes you just need your characters to do stupid or outright evil things, but you don't want them to be stupid or outright evil people, and the solution is that they're love drunk, (laughs) and their lover is probably the evil one, which is just so much fun to write. So I'm not writing that particular story in this novella, and I won't comment on whether I'm writing it in the larger series, but it sort of clicked for me in reading that, that like, oh, yes, romance is not just like to have some kissy scenes alongside the fight scenes. It's actually... A deep part of who we are as people, and it's awesome to use as motivation for characters to do things both wonderful and awful. So I knew that a novella is too short to write it, but as I was thinking about who to write this novella about, uh, and there were a lot of reasons that I talked about before for picking Gaxna, but one of them was that I knew she had had this fling in the past with and And by the time we meet her in book one, she's clearly over it, but still has some baggage attached. And uh, that's interesting to me. Baggage is interesting. I saw a famous author. I think it was... No, it wasn't Shelley Parker Chan. Sorry, famous fantasy author. I don't remember your name, but I saw you speak at a writing conference uh, and they write lots of romance in their books. And they said that their favorite trope in the fantasy genre was estranged lovers. You know, lovers that had been together before were estranged and now are getting back together. And I have always since then wanted to write it. And I was like, oh, here kind of is the perfect chance to do it. Because at this point, before the start of book one, Gaxna is kind of in that situation. And so I started working Astresia into the plotting and into the way that this book was going to work for Gaxna internally. And I, uh, I had a lot of fun doing it and I don't know that I, yeah, I think I do kind of have her do some stupid things because of this, but more so it was just like, there's a lot of drama to milk from this kind of like lost love with reasons and you still love them, but you also kind of hate them at the same time. Like... Yeah, I had a lot of fun writing it. So I think I see some more of this kind of relationship in the future. It's also just kind of a fun place to go after you've done the like the happy ever after or happily for now relationship that seems so great. Then maybe a few books down the road, it turns into this kind of relationship. (laughs) So uh, I hope that you're excited for what comes next, because obviously uh, in the next chapter, Gaxna is going to. Go after Astresia, and something's going to happen, and you know, like maybe they'll finally talk it out, or maybe it'll explode, or whatever's going to happen happens. But it's sort of the coming to a head of that part of this story. And I will say that it was probably my favorite chapter to write in the whole novella, the one that's coming. So I'm happy to tell you that, in fact, you can listen to that without having to listen to me blabber before and afterwards. This is the last of our preview chapters, but I have the full audio novella ready to go for Thief of Smoke and Sorrow. So as mentioned before, there's two ways that you can get it. You can either send me an email if you're already subscribed to our uh, podcast updates. That's an email that I send out like four times a year or so just saying, hey, I recorded these podcasts. Here's what they're about. In case you don't see them in your feed, the podcast app that I use never tells me when I get new episodes. So I can miss things, especially from the podcasts that don't update weekly. And as you know, this one doesn't. Um, So you can sign up for that and it'll automatically come to you uh, in a link and you can download it and listen to it without my interruptions. Or um, if you're already subscribed to that, you can just hit me with an email and be like, hey, give me that link. Because when you signed up, you got a different free audio novella. Um, and I'm happy to give you this one, too. There is not going to be another place to get it. I'm not planning on selling this one. I'm not going to uh, like attach it to the back of one of the color books. This is just for you. Because... It's important to me to have people actually subscribe and actually listen. Um, Sure, there are lots of people who buy my books and uh, read them and like them, but I don't have a way to connect with them. This is my way for you to hear my voice and to respond to it or to send me a text or an email or whatever you do this is the way that I can meet you because we don't have the same kind of in-person author events that we used to. And I don't know if that would even work for me, but the internet works for me and email works. So I just want to be in touch. That's the main thing. And to tell you when I've got new books, obviously, cause I need to sell them to you, but sometimes I don't sell them to you. I just give them to you like this one. So hit me up with an email. If you are subscribed, if not, go ahead and subscribe. There's a link in the show notes. To do that and listen to the rest of this story, I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed listening to it. And I hope that hearing me blab about behind the scenes stuff during this preview uh, session has not been super boring. Uh, it's, uh, I know that I can get a little navel-gazy about my writing process, so trying to dodge that too much, but I'm an author, we spend too much time alone, so when somebody listens to us, (laughs) watch out. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed that, I'll have a regular podcast for you next time, but in the meantime, I do hope, as always, that this podcast finds you well, and in the company of good books. Till next time, my friends, listen on. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Tide Collar Chronicles, visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, go to www.levijacobs.com/free. Thanks for listening, and read on.